I didn't know what to do. It, it, it knocked me for six. Um, and when I rang my wife, Amber, to, to tell her that it happened, she was in bits because we'd just committed so much of our life to it. You know, our, our, I've got two young kids. Our babies had grown up in that kitchen. Um, and it just felt like everything had been torn away. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Identity. It's something many have discussed during the series. Hospitality workers put so much of themselves and their lives into their job, it often becomes part of their identity. What if the very thing you made a name for yourself with has been ripped out from under your feet? Colin Barker is an award-winning chef who rose to fame as one of the country's best fish cooks at the boathouse on Blackwattle Bay. Colin, how are you going? Hark, I'm well, mate. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for joining us. You've had quite an interesting period of time with the restaurant being closed, but the pandemic sort of, when it landed, it started a bit differently for you. Can you tell us about those early stages? Yeah, mate. It's um, it, It's been a wild ride. Um, if you, you had a, spoken to me six months ago and said, uh, you know, where are you going to be? I probably would have given you a very different story. But um, unfortunately for us, um, it was a bit of a perfect storm moment and the, the boathouse isn't officially closed, but it's it's not open either. Um, we ran into some dramas. Basically, we've been chasing a, another long-term lease. You know, we, we've been there for 23 years. And uh, in, yeah, in 2016, actually, um, we, we filed our first sort of reapplication. Um, Tony Pappas, uh, the owner of the business, had a lot of drama securing his first lease in the early 90s, so he wanted to be ahead of the curve. And, you know, January 2016, um, first submission, and um, we're, we're still without a lease, mate. So, yeah, um, she's in dry dock. What, what happened that sort of week that the industry got told to shut down? What happened with you and the staff? Um, well, for us, the whole thing is like even after 23 years, we'd been trading very, very well. Um, right up until the knocker, we, we were to the point where basically, um, you know, there was obviously a lot of panic and people just didn't know where we were at. And then when the, the restrictions came in on the, you know, the one per four square meters and, and things like that, it really hit home that we, the, the restaurant wasn't going to be, you know, viable. In, it, in its current state. So we, like a lot of guys around town, we started looking at doing eat-at-home options, takeaways, running markets out of the restaurant, um, all that sort of gear. And, um, yeah, we were sort of in a mad flurry trying to sort of keep everyone alive and keep it going. And, um, you know, Tony was, was in town. He, he's overseas for, for the most part of the year now. Uh, and he was in town and he wandered in this afternoon and he did have a look on his head and I thought, oh, this can't be good. And uh, he just said, can I have a chat, mate? And, you know, I've been, I've been working alongside Tony for, for 13 years. Um, been running the place for him in his absence. And uh, he sat me down and uh, he came out with, uh, we're going to have to shut her down. And, um, mate, 13 years, like I've been trying to, to buy into the place as a partner for the last five years. Um, I'd invested a lot of time, a lot of effort, and it had really consumed me for the last, you know, at least decade. Um, and then to be told that, uh, you know, all that was going to be erased and uh, the future that you had planned, well, it, it's not happening. Um, that was, yeah, it was a an old shit moment for me. Um, you know, panic set in and I was just numb. I, I didn't know what to do. Well, as you said, it's been part of your life for 13 years and you've been 
running the show for at least the last five, and you really made a name for yourself as one of Australia's best fish cooks there. How does it how does it feel at the moment with the uncertainty and and having built your whole career around this restaurant? Look, I've been very fortunate. Um, Tony actually jumped in before um, the government came out with job keeper, job seeker, any of that sort of stuff, and he had enough money in the in the tank to basically pay out everyone what they were owed. Um, he, he basically didn't want to. He didn't want to try and save the business and dig a hole that we weren't going to recover from. So I was very, very fortunate. I got a handsome redundancy package, um, as did anyone who'd been there for um, you know any period of time or who was eligible. Um, and you know, really, from there, it was I didn't know what to do. It, it, it knocked me for six, um, but uh, I've sort of I've grown up with uh, you know some some pretty amazing parents and I sort of I came home that first evening and and when I rang my wife Amber to to tell her that it happened she was in bits because we'd just committed so much of our life to it you know I've got two young kids our babies had grown up in that kitchen um and it just felt like everything had been torn away and I sort of sat down had a bit of a quiet moment with myself and um I ended up just slapping myself around and said no you've been brought up to be better than this you know you're resilient um, everyone's in the same basket. Um, you've just got to make the best of a, of a bad situation. So, um, yeah, obviously I was lucky enough to have a, a little bit of money behind me and the pandemic itself actually made my wife busier within her role. Um, and then I just set about getting on with things. Um, I miss the place like you wouldn't believe. Um, I still have to go down there on occasion and let people in to sort of shut off electricity and stuff like that and it, it breaks my heart um, to, to see it a skeleton. Um, the, the real – I was very, very sort of proactive about it. I thought this is, you know, got to do this, got to do this. But there was one last day before Tony Pappas had to go back to um, – go back abroad when he, when he finally could and he asked me to go down and help him take down the, the artworks and, like, you know, the artworks, they're, they're iconic, you know, done by Jenny Dolzell. And pulling them down off the walls to put them into storage, um, it just about broke me. Um, I didn't realise just how emotional the whole thing had been until that point. How have you coped through this period with um, such a huge part of your life sort of being taken away? Um, There's two ways you can go with it. You know, you can let it ruin you uh, and you can feel sorry for yourself or you can just see it as as a... a new beginning, another opportunity, and it's it's not to say that the boathouse is gone. Um, if they pop up tomorrow with another long-term lease, um, and it it all works for us, then both me and Tony are very very interested in in getting a going again. Um, but I just yeah, I don't know. There's mum's always been uh, good with the tough love, and it was always you know suck it up, princess, get on with it. <laughs> so I sort of had that chat with myself, and yeah. I, I gave myself a clip on behalf of mum and. Uh, it was onwards and upwards, and uh, you know I've done some some funny things the last couple of months. Um, I'm fortunate enough to have um, fallen into a role um, that I'm currently doing. But mate, I've done I've got my white card from years ago, so I've been swinging a shovel. Um, I tried my hand at being a decky on a commercial fishing boat. Um, I did some welding and fabrication for wow. the old man. So how'd you go with that, mate? Well, fishing's in. Yeah, it's part of my DNA. So, and I suppose that's how I ended up at the boathouse. So, yeah, man, it's 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 been, 
you know, I miss it a lot, um, but it's also been uh, an opportunity for me to realise just how consuming it had become. Um, and I was putting so much energy into the place, and I could see probably for the last couple of years that the writing was on the wall when we weren't getting the responses that we needed with regards to the lease. But I, I probably wouldn't let myself believe it, and I definitely wouldn't communicate it with other people. I was just being stubborn and saying, no, this is going to work out eventually. Um, but no, it's just made it's, you do what you got to do, and it was about providing for the fam. And uh, I've found myself in a new role, as I said. Um, I've started up a consultancy business. I was I'm fortunate enough to have a, a very good friend in um, one Mr. Colin Fasnage, and uh, he rang me and said, "What are you doing?" Um, I got someone that's chasing a bit of help, and uh, the rest went from there. So. I've uh, started up my own kitchen consultancy business and I'm, uh, I'm helping out a, a large Sydney-based hotel group um, sort of troubleshooting menus and kitchens and stuff like that. It's very, very different to the, the life of the boathouse, but I'm, I'm really enjoying the challenge. I know that you like to mentor the staff that you have there and make sure that they have clear career paths and um, what, what's it been like? you know, sort of dealing with and sort of losing all that stuff and, you know, how, how have you helped them cope with the situation? Um, I've, I've kept in touch with most of the guys. Obviously, a lot of the guys, um, you know, with visa restriction and stuff, a few of them have returned home. Um, I've got a real core. Like, a lot of my staff were very, very long-term. You know, Franco, my Sue, he'd been with me for, for what, nine years, almost ten. Um, my junior Sue, uh, Hendry, or Chuck, he'd been with me um, for the best part of eight. And then, you know, lots of my, my chef de parties and my middle range guys, they, they were averaging sort of three years. So, you know, one, one of the greatest moments we actually had was we had um, a bit of a meeting to let everyone know what the intentions was with the restaurant. And um, you know me, I've got a bit of a warped sense of humour and I didn't want it to be too dire. Um, so Tony went about addressing the staff and I did too and it was quite emotional. I didn't think I'd be that way and but when I was stood there looking at everyone's faces and just going, you know, you've put so much effort not just into the business but into me. Um, you know, they were very, very invested and, and they, they were like family. Um, you know, we sort of, we capped off that meeting and uh, in probably poor taste, I bought out a box of Coronas for everyone to have one and uh, they said the music was a little, we needed some music, so I put on a bit of REM, it's the end of the world as we know it. And, you know, it was it was a bit of a giggle to finish it off. Um, Tony just looked at me like, Jesus, what are you doing? <laughs> um, but the best part for me was, Tony asked me to stay on for a little bit and help out just shutting the restaurant down and we did care packages um, with food, wine, beer, whatever stock we had left in the place, toilet paper, funnily enough, um, and we gave them out to the guys. But it was only meant to be me, um, my Sue Franco and my junior Sue Hendry on the day sort of putting it all together. And the other guys got wind of it. And as the, the, the morning rolled on, I had my full kitchen brigade there helping out. I, I couldn't get rid of them. And, you know, they'd been given a letter to say, you don't work here anymore. And But they knew that there was a job at hand and they, they knew that it had to be done and they all mucked in out of their own time and it was a really humbling moment. Um, I, I really miss all the guys. What's it been like 
doing the consulting, you know, you've been absorbed in the world of fish and educating consumers as well as your staff about, um, you know, the way that we can eat seafood and how glorious it is. But I'm guessing the consulting role has you crossing multiple proteins and different situations. How can you compare the two? Um, how do you compare it? It's look, it's it's a challenge, and for the first little bit, it really it, it frustrated me. But I, I suppose I had to take my my Ponzi chef toke off, and I had to look at it from a different angle. And uh, I'm actually really enjoying it. And funnily enough, like uh, the first site that I'm working on is in uh, the Hills District in Sydney. And I've inherited a fantastic team of just really good workers, great guys, and they just they just get it done. So, um, as far as the food goes, it's look the, the boathouse. Obviously, we're renowned for our seafood, and I miss it. I you know I miss being able to sample the oysters as they come in the door. I miss being able to jump on the decks of the boats at the markets and uh, pick my own fish. You know, because we're just across the water. Um, I'm still down there a bit. I sort of harass the guys that, uh, you know, used to supply me and, and seafood's still a big part of eating at home. Um, but obviously the, the beauty of, of what I'm doing, and I, I suppose it is in a pub role, it's, it doesn't matter at what level you're cooking. It's, it's just about the simple things done well. And, you know, it's just it's teaching these – I've got this – you know, there's a couple of young kids in this kitchen that just – they're screaming to be led – and you, you give them, you know, a little tip or a little technique or you show them how to do something and they, they light up and you go, yeah, right, this is, you know, so it, it is very, very different for me going from, you know, the higher end of town to, to you know, consulting on, on pubs and stuff like that. But it's, it's so rewarding and, you know, you touched on it before. I've always sort of seen myself as a bit of a nurturer with my guys and I suppose the track record I had with guys hanging around in my kitchens for so long spoke for itself. So... For me, that's it's a new challenge, and I'm really enjoying it. How did it all start from for you? I know that you're a keen fisherman, and you ended up, you know, with the boathouse. But how did you get into the industry in the first place? Um, even as a really young kid, I never wanted to be anything but a chef. Um, I don't know why. I don't know where it came from. I was always really good on the tooth as a kid. Um, Mum's a fantastic cook. My grandmother's a fantastic cook. Um, and we weren't sort of held back from, from eating stuff as kids. Um, I grew up in a rural area, so a lot of, you know, we raised our own chooks and, you know, we'd get sent off to a mate's house for the day and we'd come home, there's no chooks left and the freezer's full. Um, <laughs> and mum grew all the veggies and, and stuff like that for a really good portion of my life. So we were encouraged to, to eat different things, try different things, and um, hunting and fishing's always been a, a big part of my life, so it just it all worked. Um, I, you know, I grew up in the Hawkesbury region of New South Wales, and the the best place at the time to get work, you know, in the hospitality industry was a golf resort, um, Riverside Oaks, and I went there. At, uh, it was probably year ten at school. I did uh, work experience. And uh, I started working under a guy called John Slaughter, who's um, up at the Fairmont Resort up in the mountains, and uh, good name for a butcher. Um, but um, Slaught sort of took me under his wing, and I, I started doing casual kitchen handwork, um, and then that morphed into an apprenticeship. And Slaught was was very good. He was very very firm with me as a kid, and. Um, 
even though we were just a, a golf resort out in the Hawkesbury, he still had very, very high standards and expectations. And one night after service, uh, we were having a, a cheeky beer out the back of the kitchen and he came out with a, a, a book all wrapped up for me and it was uh, Bank, uh, you know, Leon Tomlin's book. And he said to me, look, mate, he said, you're too good for this place. He said, I want you to go and realise your whole potential. He said, one day... I'd like for you to uh, go and work for this man. So maybe due to the level of beer that I'd had, um, I thought I'd go straight in the <laughs> office then and ring direct. Um, and uh, I, I, I rang through. They put me through to Liam. Uh, it was probably post-service on a Thursday night, something like that, and it was a very, very short, sharp conversation, but it was basically uh, be here next Friday night at this time. Um, wow. Wow. So turned up, uh, did my trial. Mum and Dad drove me down to the city. Um, I was uh, 19 at the time. Mum um, and Dad drove me into town. They had a night out and uh, I did my trial, sat me on the windowsill outside, which um, the infamous windowsill, you didn't often get taken there for the right reasons. And uh, he said, right, he said, I'll give you a job. Um, at this stage, I just started my second year of my apprenticeship. He said, I'll give you a job, but um, I'm not going to, you can't travel, not with the hours you're keeping. He said, so you've got to be living in the city in the next nine days. So it just went for there. Um, yeah, we sort of whipped into the city and I stayed with a mate's brother for a bit and, and he sort of asked me to leave not long after being there, but yeah, it's what it is. Um, and then I ended up living in um, the Junior Sue's attic, um, Stevie Krasicki, for uh, – Quite some time after that. But, um, yeah, Bank was, you know, it was obviously a big change from a, a golf resort in the back of the Hawkesbury. Um, but sort of – I've had some amazing mentors in my career and, uh, you know, it started out with Slorts up at the golf resort. And then Liam, um, you know, you hear all these fearsome stories about Liam and how he ran his kitchen and, you know what, it's – I only ever copped one bollocking in the whole time I was there, and it was just over 18 months, and I deserved it. I did the wrong thing. But if you did the right thing, he was actually a beautiful, caring, um, very supportive man, and if, if you're in with him, you're in with him. Um, I was one of the last four boys out of the doors there when it um, finally fell, and then uh, Warren Turnbull um, picked me up or was was Liam's chef to cuisine and he said oh hey how about you come and follow me around town for a bit so we we bounced through a couple of venues and then finally ended up at um Asiet and we uh we ended up with two hats at, at Asiet straight off the bat and um you know tiny little team just just me and uh was and uh uh Bo, Bo Jangles or Bo Vincent um um, um, um Bo's up in Newcastle now doing his own thing. Um, and yeah, we just slugged it out there for a while and uh, sort of natural progression then was to go and see abroad and um, just through the bank connection I ended up going to London and working for, for Bredo at uh, the Ledbury Notting Hill. And um, yeah, just truly amazing. Blew my mind. Um, if I had been a single man, I'd probably still be there. But um we were newly married and I went into a London kitchen and I emerged about seven months later um, and saw my bride. So it, w it was a hard life over there. 
but just like Brett was the most, and still to this day, the most inspirational food mind I've ever been around. He just, he did not rest. Um, you know, great team, good fun. And then um, I actually, I've always had a thing, you know, sort of being a bit of a country boy myself. I wanted to see the, the gastropub scene in uh, country England. And uh, we went and did a stint in, um, I got a little bit of part-time or just sort of placement work um, at a place called the Old Butchers in Stowe on the Wold. And uh, it was it was such a difference from what I'd, you know, the, the food at the Ledbury was so intense and so sort of handled and manipulated. And then we went to this tiny little country pub, you know, and uh, the food, like you'd have a gamekeeper come in during lunch with two roadie over his shoulder you know that he just shot and say oh which one do you want pete and you know walk through a full restaurant with two carcasses um you turn up on the doorstep in the morning and there'd be uh there'd be uh baskets of pheasants with a note attached to them dear peter shot far too many hope you can use them you know we'd have like 300 pheasant hens hanging out the back um you know pete raised his own pigs and all the the food, all the, the the produce came from the local area. So it was a stark contrast to what I'd learned in London, but I, I really loved it and I thought, you know what, like when I get back to Oz, I want to do something more like this, something a bit more in between. Um, and then we finished our travels over there and uh, we came back to Sydney and um, I was actually working for my old man for – Oh, a couple of weeks, we were waiting. To, we had uh, a property in Sydney that still had tenants in it we had to get back to. So I was killing a bit of time with Dad and I, I was a little bit burnt from London. It was pretty intense lifestyle and uh, swinging a shovel and uh, a mate rang me and said, uh, I'm a, he, I'd worked with, with him um, at various venues before and he said, oh, look, I'm at the boathouse. We need a sous chef. And uh, I said, oh, I'm not really looking. He goes, no, no, come on down. You'll love it. The fish, you know, it's crazy. So I went and did a trial and three days later we were back in the city again. So and uh, and that's, you know, like you, you touched on earlier, I'm a mad fisherman in my spare time and it was just such a natural fit to go in and get to play with some of Australia's best seafood. Well, over the next 13 years you became one of Australia's best fish cooks. What's What's the secret to cooking um, fish and seafood, seafood and handling it? Um, what's the – really for us as chefs, and we're spoilt nowadays, so much of the work is done by the fishermen. Um, how that fish turns out on your plate comes down to how it was treated when it came over the gunwale of the boat, you know. Was it brain spiked, ice slurried, handled well? It starts at the beginning there. Um, seafood's one of those things that you just – you don't stuff around with it. It's about simplicity. It's about simple flavour. It's about letting it speak for itself. Um, and you know, I was gifted an amazing kitchen down there at the boathouse and the proximity to the markets. So it just made life easy. Um, you know, we were were dry aging fish before it was called dry aging. Um, you know, we had the the static fridge down there, which is I think the second one um, that was in Sydney. I think the first one was um, for for Hodgie and. Steve down at Pier originally, and then ours was modelled off that. So, yeah, it's just the, the very, very simple things, you know, keep the fresh water away from it. That's that's just got to be done. Um, and, yeah, just, you know, sharp knives, care, diligence, and, and the, the rest is really done for you by Mother Nature and the fishermen. What's your favourite fish and, and how do you like to cook it? 
from an eating perspective, um, I'm a bit of a fan of um, barcod, one of the, the deep water species is, species that we get. We do get a little bit of it locally. I've been lucky enough to catch a bit with a, with a few buddies around here, but mostly sort of north coast and southeastern Queensland. It's just that beautiful, big, sticky, white flake. Um, the skin, when treated right, comes up like pork crackling. So for me, it's just about cooking it on the skin very, very gently. Um, you can do it with the aid of a fish weight or you can do it with um, just a little bit of patience and a bit of a push um, and then you know pan into the oven a couple of minutes at best. And it's one of those fish, if you cook it too far, it can go quite tough, but you get it just right and it's the most succulent, sweet piece of fish you, you'll get to eat. Um, apart from that, I've got a bit of a soft spot for the old uh, leather jacket, the, the piscatorial cockroach. Um, <laughs> it's funny, like we, we I, I do fishing trips with the boys. Um, only a couple of weeks ago, I went out to the peak. Um, you know, it's about twenty k off uh, Botany, and we were trying to jig for kingfish, and we kept getting plagued by leather jackets. You know, we're dropping down these expensive jigs, and we're losing them constantly. And uh, I actually had a wire rig set up ready to go and I started catching jackets one after the other and the boys are like, what are you doing with those? They're crap. I said, nah, these are the best. Like the kings are great for a fight, but if I'm <laughs> going to eat something, I'm going to eat the jacket. So I loaded an esky with those, got a few kings and went home happy. How are you feeling at the moment? You know, you really invested so much of yourself in a restaurant and it seems to be something that's part of the industry that people find their identity in food and invest so much of themselves into their work. Um, how do you feel moving forward about restaurants and your role within them, given how much energy you'd put into the boathouse and and what's happened? Initially, when I received the news, and for you know, a good couple of days, even a couple of weeks afterwards, I was gutted. Um, you know, it's just, it was such an investment, and I, I'd probably, on a personal level, I'd invested so heavily that it was actually dangerous. It had become quite consuming. Um, and one of the greatest things for that was I got to spend a lot of time with my kids in the following weeks since we shut down, and it, it's actually given me a new lease on life, and I knew myself, like I mentioned earlier, that I'd, I got to a point probably a couple of years out where I just knew in, in my gut that this lease wasn't going to come through anytime soon. So I'd already sort of set myself up for disappointment, so it wasn't quite as bad when it did finally surface. But it's it's one of those things where, like I said, you can you can ruin yourself over it or you can just get on with it. Um, and there was no other option. It was just about getting on and, and, and you know, seeing what's out there. Um, but it's, it's actually – I'd love to go back more than anything else. I would love to go back just, if everything – realigned it'd be back at the boathouse it'd be alongside tony my name on the door but it'd be be under a very it'd be a very new look boathouse um the the my approach to the food and the staffing and all that sort of stuff would be very different and a lot of that's been learnt in this last six months so you know it's it's one of those things sometimes it's easier to be pushed than actually jump um and i'm very very fortunate that i've i've managed to a, have the support of amazing family and friends and, and industry sort of peers that have, um, you know, been there when I needed them. Um, but the other thing too is, I don't know, I just, 
I, I guess within myself, I was I knew it was coming. So it was just a matter of getting up and and getting it done. Well, as you mentioned a bit earlier, it's there's still uncertainty in regards to the boathouse, and it's there's it's not yep. definitely closed, but it's not open at the moment. And let's say a new lease is signed and you're able to open the boathouse again. How will it feel to be back there with your team? Um, uh, how would it feel? Um, I suppose like me, me and Tony have been working really hard on plans and the evolution of the business. And the fact of the matter is that, you know, it's just with, with it, the building's been there for such, well, the, the restaurant's been there for such a long time that it was getting to the point where, you know, she was still powering along, but she was starting to show her age. And, you know, it's we couldn't invest in the place like we needed to, to to bring her up to speed because there was just so much uncertainty. So um, for me, it would be one of the things that I battled with when I was there, you know, obviously the boathouse had had a very long history before I actually got there. And there was this sort of perception of the boathouse, particularly in the local area, um, and it was damage that was done in years before I got there. That you know we were this Ponzi restaurant at the end of the street that cost you an absolute fortune to to eat in. But realistically, we're about three bucks a main course more expensive than the pub up on the corner um, that didn't have the view and didn't have the service. Wow. So um, for me, it would be still. It'd be all about the seafood. That'd just be um, the 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 natural the way to go. That's what I'm passionate about. Um, but it'd be a, a whole lot more. It'd be a little bit more lighthearted. It'd be more casual. Um, you know, sort of lighter bites. It's just just the way the industry is moving at the moment. But I think that it's something that the building needed a long time ago. But due to sort of I always sort of felt a little bit trapped by the history of the restaurant, I guess. So I'd be very, very excited to sort of – I had enough time to think about what I'd do. So to actually pull the trigger on a new plan with a – you know, blow the inside out of the place and start again would, would be incredible. You've had a pretty extraordinary upheaval in your life in the last four months. But what, what's been the positives to come out of this situation for you? Positives? It – the big thing is it actually made me stop, like it forced me to stop and figure out just like the place had become an, an obsession. It, it, it almost it, it could, was completely controlling my existence and I I'd still loved the place but I, I didn't realise just how consuming it was until it wasn't there. Um, you know, and, and I'm a control freak by nature so I could have been there a whole lot less than I, than I was. Um, and I had, I was lucky enough to have the support of the most amazing team. Like only 13, 14 months before this whole COVID thing kicked off, um, I finally got the restaurant manager of my dreams, the guy that I'd been waiting for for 13 years um, in Vincent Wigman. He was incredible. And then it's one of the things I actually said to Tony. I said, mate, I said, we've just gotten the team to where we need it after all these years and this is happening. Um, so... But for me, it's just it, – it's given me a new outlook. It's set me new challenges. It's given me a little bit more time to be a dad, you know, to do camping trips on the weekend and to do footy training and actually take a little bit better care of myself. Um, 
you know, getting more sleep, eating better, um, pushing myself to exercise because all that went on the, on the back burner while I was just so tied up in, in this environment that I'd created. It wasn't enforced on me, but I'd just done it to myself. So it, it's, yeah, like I said, it's, sometimes it's easier to be pushed than have to, to make the decision to jump yourself. And like I said, I was, I was sort of brought up to be resilient and um, it's, it's given me a new lease on life, really. It's, it's just seeing things through, you know, a different set of glasses. It's a new challenge and, uh, yeah, look, if she comes back, um, it's on. But um, I've, I've got to get out and do something else in the interim. Well, mate, it's always extraordinary to have a yarn with you and you've always been bloody amazing at telling a yarn. Um, no wonder you like your fishing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> mate, um, keep in touch. We're so honoured to have you on Deep in the Weeds today and um, we'll talk soon. Mate, it's a pleasure. Thanks, Huck. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's hospo community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well. <laughs>